all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC, and Dr. Allie Brown, surgical pathologist. We have talked about cancer on this show many times in the past, and we're talking about it again, but this time specifically talking about cancer in your head and your neck. With us is Dr. Lana Jackson. She's an expert on the subject, and she can answer your questions. Call 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. We'll be back after news from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Charlotte Police Department says it's not a matter of if but when it will release video recordings of the police shooting that claimed the life of Keith Lamont Scott this week. Police Chief Kerr Putney says the investigation into whether deadly force was warranted cannot afford to be compromised. Thorough investigation relies on multiple factors, and I can tell you one piece of evidence will never, ever make a good case. Um, I know the expectation that video footage can be the panacea, uh, and I can tell you that is not quite the case. Meanwhile, police have custody of a suspect in the deadly shooting of a protester during Wednesday night's riots in Charlotte. The protests surrounding Scott's death several days ago and that of another black man in Tulsa a week ago highlight the fractious relationship between law enforcement and communities of color nationwide. The police officer in the Charleston case is black. The officer involved in the Tulsa encounter is white. Officer Betty Shelby is charged in the death of Terrence Crutcher, who was seen on video apparently with his hands up when he was shot. Kate Carlton Greer of member station KGOU says Officer Shelby turned herself into police this morning. Officer Betty Shelby was booked into the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office around 1 a.m. Authorities then released her on a $50,000 bond. Shelby was charged with first-degree manslaughter after she shot and killed Terrence Crutcher last week. At a press conference yesterday, an attorney for Crutcher's family said the charges were a victory. But let me be clear. The family wants and deserves full justice. And full justice requires not just charges, but a vigorous prosecution and a conviction. If convicted, Shelby faces up to life in prison. For NPR News, I'm Kate Carlton-Greer in Norman, Oklahoma. Russia is flatly rejecting accusations raised by several U.S. lawmakers and members of the Obama administration that the Kremlin is trying to interfere in the presidential election. 
Charles Maines reports on scathing reaction today emerging from Moscow. From this year's hack of the Democratic National Committee computer servers to Kremlin media's fawning coverage of Republican nominee Donald Trump, U.S. officials' allegations of Russian meddling have been a constant theme in this year's presidential race. And yet it was comments by U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper accusing Russia of repeated interference in elections at home and abroad that set off the latest flap. While Russia has previously denied trying to influence the U.S. race, Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rybkov called Clapper comments a new level of absurdity, given the U.S.'s own interference in other countries' elections for decades. That, Russia says, includes its own recent parliamentary elections, which were dominated by President Vladimir Putin's United Russia Party. In giving his party a mandate, Putin said the Russian public had rejected outside attempts by the U.S. and other Western powers to destabilize Russia ahead of the vote. For NPR News, I'm Charles Maines in Moscow. At last glance, the Dow was down 65 points at 18,327. This is NPR. Native groups in the U.S. and Canada have signed a treaty to work together to fight the growth of the Alberta oil sands. Dan Karpinchuk reports he say they'll do whatever they can peacefully to block pipelines and push renewable energy. The treaty was signed in Montreal and in Vancouver and involves Indigenous leaders from Native communities in eastern and western Canada, along with about a dozen in the northern U.S. They want to stop all pipeline projects as well as the rail or tanker distribution of crude connected to the oil sands. One chief, Serge Simon of the Ganesatagi Mohawks in Quebec, says the goal is to remain peaceful, but all options are on the table. The chiefs plan to meet soon to confirm their strategy for the fight. They will also look at international legal action. The treaty came on the same day that a climate change advocacy group said Canada should stop any new oil and gas developments if it wants to reach its climate change targets. For NPR News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk in Toronto. In Egypt, state media reporting that 148 bodies have been recovered from the Mediterranean Sea. They were among hundreds of people who were traveling by boat to Europe, when it capsized on Wednesday, and many of the victims who drowned were children. The death toll among migrants who risked the dangerous journey through the Mediterranean to reach Europe is rapidly approaching last year's record level. The International Organization for Migration reports today that more than 3,500 migrants have died so far this year. Turning now to U.S. stocks, we see trading's lower, with the Dow off 64 since the open at 18,327, Nasdaq off 17 at 5322, S&P 500 down a fraction. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from the financial services firm of Raymond James, offering personalized wealth management advice and banking and capital markets expertise all with a commitment to putting clients' financial well-being first. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on 
Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC, and Dr. Allie Brown. She's a surgical pathologist. You know, we've talked about cancer a lot on this show, but today we're very specific in what we're talking about. Dr. Lana Jackson is here. She is an expert on cancer of the head and neck, which sounds horrible, frankly. You think of cancer in your head. To me, anyway, it just sounds especially awful. If you have a question uh, and you'd like to call or a story or a comment, whatever, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send an email, if you prefer, to women at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Dr. Jackson. Thanks for being here. Hey, good morning. Please call me Lana. Um... No, it's good to call, be here. We, if you're here as a doctor, we're going to call you doctor, like Dr. Owens and Dr. Brown. Well, you must call me Dr. Doctor, Brown. There's doctor. no other option. So it's Dr. Jackson, whether you like it or not. Well, that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. Put down. It's good to be back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And for those who, who it's been about six months, I that's think, correct, or, yes. since you've been here. So tell our listeners about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Meridian, so I'm a Mississippi girl at heart. That would um, be 20 East? 20 east, yeah. just about an hour and 15 minutes away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's good to be uh, close to home again. I've been back for going on my fourth year now at UMC. And Where were you before? I was at the uh, Medical College of Georgia in Augusta, Georgia. So um, I actually did medical school here in Jackson and then did my training at Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. I was there for 11 years with my training, including being on faculty for five years there before coming back to join the Department of Otolaryngology here. Say that again. (laughs) It was so smooth. You see how she did that? Yes, the Department of Otolaryngology, um, otherwise known as ENT to everyone. Head neck. Um, Head neck. (laughs) And uh, and I've been there (laughs) as the chief of head neck surgery and uh, really enjoying it. It's good to be home. Yeah, you you were saying when we were in the other room that there are only two of you who perform surgery. There are two of us in that division. So uh, the department as a whole is is larger, but um, in that sort of subspecialty, there are two of us. You uh, were talking about cancer today, but you deal with other issues in the head and neck? I do. Um, I would say most of my practice is head and neck cancer, although I do thyroid and parathyroid surgery, and many of those are benign conditions, and I also do other benign diseases of the head and neck, but I would say 90% of my practice is cancer. I'm turning to you two because I'm talking a lot. (laughs) Oh, we were just dreaming over here. (laughs) Where am I? (laughs) No, um, I'm really glad to uh, have Dr. Jackson on the show with us. Um, Oh, and I want to take a minute um, because as she was talking about herself, one thing she didn't share is it's birthday weekend. Woo-hoo. So in addition to being our specialist du jour today, um, she's also our um, celebratory birthday girl. Yes, we won't Yay. say how old because that would be rude. She's only 21. Tw- 21. Yeah. Again. 21 again. Um, yeah. And oh, by the way, shameless mommy plug. Today is also um, my twin's birthday. And so, they yay, are. The twins turn three today. Woo-hoo. Three. Three. Tiny yeah. little kids. Yeah. They'll be getting yeah. married soon. So Don't be careful. Don't say that. It's true. It's Don't true. say I, So Okay, so now the show's, show's over. <laughs> I, was, I was just totally like now upset about If you're about to call thing. with your birthday, I'm kidding. Please don't call <laughs> no. with birthday. 
Well, we're just wishing, hey, happy birthday to everybody who has a birthday this weekend. Our all of our September babies. How about that? You know, we hadn't done that. We should we should say happy birthday every every month. I know, and there are just a lot of birthdays in September, which makes me wonder what everybody was doing. I know what they were doing nine months ago. So, So there's a there's a study out there that actually shows that it is the most popular time. Right, but you know what the most the biggest day for births is. October 5th. Oh. That's New Year's Eve, if you count back. OMG, because I have a, I have a, a family member whose birthday is October 5th. There you go. Hey. Well, there you go. Happy right. New Year. Back on awesome. topic. <laughs> that was fun. But. I know. And thanks to our listeners, too. For So last week was Drive Week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for all of the people who called in and supported and who have continued to be supporters, sustainers, et cetera, for MPB, I just want to say thanks because we kind of ended the show and didn't get a chance to thank all the people who gave. Yeah. We were able to, we met our goal, which is fantastic. We almost met our, we met we our met hourly ours, goal. Yeah, we met right. our hourly goal and um, almost met the goal for the day. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks for everybody who um, who called in and who contributed yeah. and who kind of worked through the phone issues and and all that to to continue to support MPB. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a it was a great day. Now we and, can move on to Head and Neck and all. All right, now we get in into a serious matter. Very serious. All right, should we start with the head? Well, so head and neck cancers. Well. Head and neck cancers are this group of cancers, and and head and neck is this very broad term, but really the things that I deal with are cancers of the mouth, cancers of the throat, cancers of the sinuses, um, cancers of the walls of the throat, cancer of the salivary glands. Um, So not really the head like in the brain, because that's not something I sort of stop where the brain starts. Most people would say that would be true of me generally. But if you're in the sinus cavities, you're um, right up there, too. Yeah, but you're, very ne- you're next door. Yeah. You're next door. Your neighbors. And, and there neighbors. are occasions where we do work with neurosurgeons for combined cases. But those are the, the general areas that I deal with when it comes to head and neck Now, cancer. that's all soft tissue, I, I assume. What about the actual neck? I mean, so not spine. Again, that is sort of in someone else's department, but everything in front of the spine. Um, so it is all sort of soft tissue, um, cancers and lymph nodes in the neck, um, thyroid cancers, um, all of those things. What's the most we, common cancer you're dealing with? The most common cancer is oral cavity um, in the head and neck. And that's not just true for us, but if you look statistically nationwide, um, those are the most common. So cancers of the tongue, the floor of the mouth, the inside of the cheek, um, the tonsils, the uh, base of the tongue, so it's oral cavity and oropharynx. And largely preventable cancers. Largely right? preventable. So um, the, the big risk factors for the development of head and neck cancer um, is uh, heavy tobacco use, heavy alcohol use, or the combination of those. So it, it's not an additive risk. So if you're a heavy smoker and a heavy drinker, it's multiplied. So it's not, um, it's not one plus one equals two. Um, so heavy uses of those, of those things are... Why alcohol? Uh, it's it's um I know right why alcohol you look so sad well, yeah. I think, no I just think of that as being I don't know you put alcohol on cuts um, and it, it, it's an oh, irritant yeah. so it, it's it's an irritant well yeah and so it's kind of the same concept though right yeah for why it works to sterilize certain we you know if you're a heavy drinker things. um that that's an irritant to the mucosa to the inside of the the throat and so you can that use over time and we're talking heavy use i mean if you have a a glass of wine at night or at lunch uh you're you're not really in that high risk category but if you measure your drinks in gallons um then that you're at risk because you're just you're overusing 
If you but, drink wine with a straw, you may want to reconsider. And most people well, don't think tea. about, yeah, but most people don't think about that. And so um, it, I think we usually people associate smoking and smoking risk with lung cancer. I think that's kind of, you know, a common association. But um, the other thing is that we're talking about it's not just smoking, right? Um, right. Because if you listened very closely, Dr. Jackson said tobacco use. And so there's, so tobacco can be smoked, but you know, also those people who, who did, absolutely. Snuff. Yes. Or cigar smokers. Cigar smokers. The same. And, and again, you think about the, those products are still in contact with oral mucosa. And so it is the, not just the smoke effect, which certainly for voice box cancers, um, inhaling and having that um, irritant, you know, reach uh, the voice box. But even just holding the tobacco product in the mouth causes a local irritation. And over time, that can change those cells into something. Abnormal. Let me give the phone number out. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. What about those who vape? Is enough information known yet about vaping? I don't think we know. Um, you know, I think that jury is still out. I, I, you know, I don't think any of it is perfectly safe. Um, but maybe there's a lesser risk with vaping than there is with uh, actual cigarette smoke. But I don't, I don't really know that we have that yeah, data. Don't, don't start with the vaping. Risk. They're going to start calling. Kind of oh, risky. We, That's still risky. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know. know. We, we don't know. Do, we had a doctor on who, yeah, who we was don't very know. much against vaping, and we started getting callers. Yeah, a vaping saying, community. Yep. You know, yeah. I, I think I think smoking is a very difficult habit to break. And I tell my patients that, I mean, it's really easy when your physician comes in the office and starts, you know, beating people over the head about stopping smoking and you know, I, I realize that that is a habit that is very difficult to break. And I don't, you know, I've never smoked. Well, that's not really true. I did try a cigarette when I was in high school <laughs> and I was in the band and I wanted to be like the drummers because they were all very cool. Um, oh, my gosh. The drummers at my school smoke, too. I know. It's so I tried. Oh, I was going to encourage my kid to smoke, uh, to uh, play drums. <laughs> never mind. So uh, so it didn't no really take. Drums. I, I tried a guys. cigarette and it, and it really, I, I didn't like it. And so. But I understand that it's a hard habit to break, and it's a very a habit that's associated with a lot of other things. It's it's a there's a behavioral process that you know most people smoke when they do X, where whether mm-hmm. it's you know have a cup of coffee in the morning or they go to the bar and meet their friends, and there's this combination social mm-hmm. situation that increases that behavior. So I don't believe that everybody can just put it down and and do away with it. So I realize that anything that maybe helps you step away from that may have a benefit, but all of those things, you know, have some maybe potential risk. And so you just have to weigh that. We need to take our first break of the hour. Again, I'm going to get the phone number out if you have a question or a comment. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you prefer, email us at women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back.
Support for MPB comes from Kyle Winn & Associates, an estate planning and elder law firm hosting estate planning and nursing home asset protection planning seminars in Jackson and Vicksburg throughout the month of September. Details at kyle-winn.com. It's high school football time, and that means it's time for Friday night under the lights. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tonight at 10 o'clock right here on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Allie Brown is here. And our special guest, our expert guest, is Dr. Lana Jackson. Uh, We're talking about head and neck cancer. I should say cancers because there are a number of them. Uh, Which, what kind of surgery do you most perform? Wow. Um, So for Oral cavity cancers, we tend to have to remove part of the tongue a lot. Um, So when you have a cancer of the tongue, that is generally a surgical disease. Uh, We don't consider non-surgical therapies as our first-line treatment. So when you have an oral cavity lesion, you're going to probably see me. Um, So removing part of the tongue, removing part of the jaw, removing part of the floor of the mouth, um, or some combination of those things, and then rebuilding that area after we've removed a portion. So that's a very common surgery for us. Uh, another common surgery is removing the voice box. And while that is not thought of as the first-line treatment for larynx or voice box cancers um, in every situation, those patients will often get chemotherapy and radiation first or radiation alone first. Um, but if it fails, then they usually have to see me for a surgical approach, which is removing the voice box. So do you um, do you have an opportunity to do reconstruction at that time, or are these people, do they usually undergo one procedure and then after treatment or after they heal from the initial um, r- removal of their tumor or whatever needs to be done, um, then they are, go back and have reconstructive surgery? We try to do everything as a single operation. Okay. So because there are two of us, we do those cases together. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Assam Eid is my partner, and he is also a microvascular surgeon, which is an even more specialized head and neck surgeon, um, so that he's able to sew small blood vessels together and create a living piece of tissue where we've removed something, and that's kind of his role. Um, he also removes tumors, but when we work together, I usually 
I, I say I make a hole and he fills it, like in my heart. So, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I know oh, it's very sweet. So sweet. Um, but but that's kind of how we tag team that. And so um, reconstructing people at that same setting, while it makes for a longer surgery, is certainly better for mm-hmm. them um, than having to come back and do a stage oh, procedure. Yeah. And it can, I mean, because some of the surgery that you do can be very disfiguring on the outside. I mean, and and these tumors can grow to be very large and very prominent. Um, but once you go in and actually try to do a good resection to take everything out, then many times there's a, a large hole left to fill. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a big surgery on the inside, you end up with a scar, right? But when you have something on your head and neck, I mean, plus you don't wear clothes that cover your head. I mean, it can be really, really dramatic, I would assume for your patients. Right. So I, I think that's one of the things that sort of separates us from some of the other oncology specialties is that not that any of anybody who's experiencing cancer has any less of a of a traumatic experience but there's something very specific i think and and i've always said one of the unique parts about otolaryngology is that we deal with everything that sort of people identify as being human you know it's their sense of smell their sense of taste the way they talk the way they eat the way they hear the way they interact with their surroundings it's very out in the open and you're right you don't wear something over your face and so when you have a head and neck cancer it affects your ability to be social <clears throat> whether that is go just the simple act of going out to dinner and having mm-hmm. a drink with your friends or having a meal with your family um, that becomes altered because it's not going to be normal um, for those patients anymore yeah. and we can get them close to normal but it may never be where it was before well, I mean you, th- you talk about um, removal of portions of your tongue um, and sometimes um, other parts of the, the face or the neck so um, that I mean totally makes sense not being able how, to talk yeah that that or, or being or having to talk in a different way or having to relearn those sure. things with your new parts right. um, I think is also probably a big challenge for you haven't, the um, that you, see. you haven't mentioned ears can you get cancer like in your ear canal you can you can it's a lot most of those are like a skin cancer um, that start in the ear canal and and they are not um, we don't see that very often but we do occasionally see those types of tumors so for our listeners, um, how might, if, if we, if they're listening, if somebody's out there listening and they, you know, they smoke or they, you know, consume alcohol, um, Dr. Brown's making a mess in the background. Um, if they consume alcohol or if they are heavy smokers, like what kinds of things can they look for? What are signs? Because I, I assume that these may present in very different ways and sometimes they there may be some things that may be more obvious and maybe some things that are more subtle. So what kind of things might um, a person who is at risk or even somebody who may be at low risk, if they wanted to kind of just figure out if their mouth is okay or if sure. how what would they look for? Right. So I, I kind of have a two-week rule. Um, you know, the, the mouth heals pretty quickly. If you get an aphthous ulcer or a canker sore or a fever blister or some other mouth lesion, most of those ought to be healed or at least dramatically better in two weeks. Most people don't have sores or even infections or tooth abscesses that persist. You know, um, a lot of times there's a, a difficulty in that the, the, 
the symptom is very subtle. So it may be a small ulcer or a small sore. Um, it's just not getting better. Um, it might bleed. It might not. It might just be a red patch in the mouth that's not improving. Um, and so I tell people, if you notice a sore in your mouth and it's not better in two weeks, you need to see somebody. And the other thing that I would tell you know the public is that I'm a cancer doctor, so when you walk through my door, I have the benefit of just assuming you have cancer until I prove that it's not. And that's not necessarily the case when you're going to see your primary care doctor who is seeing a ton of different things coming through their door and a ton of people coming through their door every day. So their context is going to be a lot different. So if they see you and you have something and you get treated with antibiotics, which may be perfectly appropriate for that initial visit, but it's still not improving, be your own advocate and go back again. Um, Just if something's not getting better, don't always just assume that, well, it didn't get better with antibiotics, so I don't really need to go back. It's probably nothing. Just continue to press that um, because I, I see that a lot where people may go to an initial initial visit and it doesn't improve, and then they wait and wait and wait and wait, and then it's six months down the road, and now what was very small to begin with is now very big, and the surgery is going to be dramatically different for those folks. So sores in your mouth. Lumps in your neck, so if you feel an enlarged lump in your neck and you don't really have another reason to be sick, um, it's painless, but it might be getting bigger or it might even be fluctuating in size. Would it be hard and or soft? It could. It could be hard and or soft. And so, But something that doesn't go away, even if, um, even if you've been treated with antibiotics and it gets a little better but it doesn't go away, that deserves another set of eyes. And so those are kind of the subtle symptoms, mm-hmm. hoarseness that doesn't improve or gets worse, um, you know, difficulty swallowing, pain when you swallow, if you wear dentures, changes in the way your dentures fit or feel, um, loose teeth. You don't have any other reason to believe that you ought to have a loose tooth. Ooh, I have that dream Ooh. all the time. Yeah. I think and that means something. Loose? I'm not real sure about the you knocked your teeth out dream, but uh, but th- those are <laughs> the things loose. that, uh, that you the, need to think. And I think enlarging masses, anytime that you have a, a mass that you notice, um, take the time to figure out, you know, about how big it is. Um, and then, you know, if it doesn't go away, whether or not it notice whether or not it's getting larger because I think if something's getting progressively larger um, then that's also something that's important absolutely mm-hmm. we go to the phones and Judith is calling in from Starkville hi Judith hi you have a question hi. can you hear me yeah yes. we can hear you hey, good morning, morning. Good morning. Um, I have a, a cyst behind my ear um, it's internal I I can kind of feel it, and if I turn my head quickly, my uh, tongue will go numb. And I talked to a doctor about it. I had an MRI, and he showed me that there's a nerve and a and an artery involved. What my question? I guess he didn't want to do surgery. Um, so, is would that necessarily? Uh, go away eventually or is it going to be there forever and ever (laughs) well it's hard to know uh, without looking at the scan myself but certainly um, you know I think if it's a truly a cyst that's there it's probably not going to go away although it may change in size so you know it can fluctuate if it's fluid filled it could get smaller 
um, mm. but it also has the potential to grow with time. So mm. um, if, if surgery isn't an option given the location, um, you might just consider another opinion or, or just seeking out maybe just someone else to lay eyes on that and, and see what other options might be available. Well, I was, uh, you know, being a cyst and it does have, I don't know, uh, a fluid in it. Yes, ma'am. Um, can it be aspirated without? So, yeah, so I think that's a, that's might be an option. Again, like I think you would have to see where exactly it's located and how difficult it might be to to access with a needle for drainage, but that certainly would be a possibility. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Uh, On the phone now, we say good morning to Wesley, who is literally on the road. Hi, Wesley. Well, hello. Hey there. Hi, Wes. Good morning. I'm doing okay. (laughs) What's your question? Well, uh, it's not really a question, but uh, there is a question because of what I'm talking about. Uh, Y'all were talking about ways that you can get cancer. Uh, You did no mention was made of uh, people that's having reoccurring heartburn or gastric reflux. You can get esophageal cancers from that, and they can be something that comes on, and you don't know about it unless you're having uh, procedures done for people to look down your throat. Wes, you make a very good point. So that is absolutely true. Um, individuals with long-standing reflux and heartburn are at risk for esophageal cancers, primarily at the junction of the esophagus and the stomach, and which is a little different than most of the cancers that I deal with, which are squamous cell. It's Those south are tip- of the neck. It's a little <laughs> south of the neck, although it's connected. Um, it's one big tube. It one is one big tube, tube from one big the tube. rooter to the tutor. there you go so um so yeah so those are adenocarcinomas and but you can also develop squamous cells of the esophagus and and i do see those and there is some suggestion that reflux even and what we call um, lpr or reflux up into the throat can cause irritation over time that may cause changes in the cells of that tissue that could lead to cancer or or make those cancers worse um whether or not there's a direct relationship, it's hard to say, but certainly there's a, a some risk to, that uh, goes along with that. Great point. Thank you so much for calling, Wesley. Awesome. Well, I had uh, a follow-up question. Sure, oh, sure. Uh, now, I had been treated for this since back in the 90s. Well, finally, my doctor suggested having a... Uh, a scan done of my stomach. And he said, there's something, uh, looks like you have gallstones. And they did procedure, remove my gallbladder. Now I don't have any heartburn. I'm not on the medicine anymore. Why did it take so long for them to say, hey, what else could it be? Taking all these medicines for reflux and heartburn and everything, and then they say, "Well, let's do a CT scan of your abdomen." Okay. Got, got all, so. all right, we're gonna. It, it's hard to know, Wes. I don't know. I mean, I I wish I had seen you way back then. Maybe we could have figured it out. I'm glad you're better, though. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I think, um, like you said, when you're talking about 
doctors who, you know, see a, a wide range of patients, um, you know, we tend to treat the common things first. Um, and so uh, sometimes it's more about treating the symptoms and seeing if you can get a person feeling better. Um, and we may not always be able to detect immediately what that underlying cause is. Um, but I think that's fantastic that once you got rid of your gallbladder that all of a sudden your symptoms got better because um, heartburn is actually pretty common. Um, so um, I'm just glad that, that you're better. And thanks again for uh, helping to educate our listening audience because um, that is a, a totally different uh cause for cancer. Thank you, Wesley. We are taking our second break of the show. If you'd like to call with a question, the number is 877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You can also email us if you'd like to women at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live Ask not need in, in what Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. After the sexual assault, then comes the shame, says a new documentary. The girls have all said to us, yes, of course, the sexual assault was horrible and traumatic, and it's going to take them a long time to heal from it. But the worst part of what happened to them was the social media shaming. I'm Kelly McEvers, a preview of Audrey and Daisy on the next All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown, Dr. Michelle Owens, Dr. Allie Brown, and our special guest today, Dr. Lana Jackson. We are talking about cancers of the head and or neck. And there are a lot of areas in both, I guess, where cancer can form. And all things in between. And we are going to go to uh, the phone, and we have 
Kay calling in from Madison who has a comment for our last caller, Wesley. Kay, we could give you Wesley's number if you want. No. Okay. <laughs> well, um, he was mentioning that the, his you know, problem wasn't, was, it took so long for it to find, but uh, I'm not a doctor, I'm a dietitian, and with his gallbladder being removed, it could be that he changed his diet and that had a lot to do with it. Same difference for some people who have diabetes. They lose weight. They have better, um, you know, health, uh, health, a healthier life. And sometimes when they make those changes after they have a diagnosis, it appears as if it's something that the doctor didn't find. But actually, you know, finding out about your, um, you know, diagnosis can cause you to have a better lifestyle and, and make it seem as if um, it has something to do with the diagnosis, even though it may just have had something to do with your lifestyle change. Okay, we are loving you. Yeah, exactly. that's a great point. Kay. Leave your leave your number with the call screener because <laughs> we might have you on when we do our next show on uh, on nutrition. We need awesome. a nutrition Absolutely. show. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Thank well, you for thank you. that. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Kay. Thanks, Kay. If you'd like to call with a question or That's comment, so the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email women at mpbonline.org. Because you're dealing with the oral cavity, is it unlikely that someone would have radiation therapy for cancer because it would be, I don't know, harsher, more well, tough on the mouth? at least initially, um, we feel like in the oral cavity, it's an area that we can reach surgically, get negative margins. And, what um, does that mean, negative margins? So anytime you excise a tumor, you don't just go right around the tumor. Um, you want an area of normal tissue to be removed with the tumor because you want to make sure you're far enough around it that you've got it all. And so um, when we're excising things in the oral cavity, we want, you know, a centimeter to a half a centimeter clear um, in order to make sure that we have the best opportunity to cure that disease. Um, Radiation to the oral cavity does have a lot of downsides. It uh, causes drying that's often permanent, uh, which then leads to uh, an increased risk of cavities. So if you have bad teeth, you often have to get bad teeth or all of your teeth pulled before you can get radiation that's going to affect your teeth um, because you can develop infection later on if you have bad teeth that need work done after radiation. So um, there are a lot of side effects, and so we don't prefer to have to give high-dose radiation to the oral cavity. It doesn't mean that those patients don't still get radiation. So if you have a very large tumor and very advanced disease, you are likely to see all of our modalities of therapy. So you're likely to see surgery followed by a combination of chemotherapy and radiation. Most of that depends on the stage of your disease and what your final pathology looks like after you've had surgery. What we typically do is when I meet you, you know, we get as much information together as possible, including biopsies and CT scans and what other imaging, whatever other imaging we need. And you're presented at a multidisciplinary tumor conference. So we meet not just as surgeons, but also with the radiation oncologist, the medical oncologist, the radiologists are there, the pathologists are there, the nurses that deal with your care are there. And we discuss your case in total so that we know how you came to be with us and what your situation is. And then as a group, we try to decide what the best option for treatment for you is going to be. And, and while there are guidelines that direct 
our cancer care, um, everybody brings to that situation something unique as a person. And so not all things are cookie cutter. And so having that discussion with everybody who deals with these cancers gives us the best uh, treatment for you as an individual. And so once we have that plan in place, then that discussion can happen and um, and we can move forward from there. I think that's a really um, significant thing that um, is important for people to hear is this concept of the big doctor meeting where um, how many times have you wanted one doctor to be able to communicate with another. And I think when something as um, life altering and as serious as cancer um, is being discussed, how wonderful is it that all of the people who are involved actually get a chance to come together and share their information. And it's like the doctors are all there together um, discussing each individual that they are involved in taking care of. And I think we know that that works to a tremendous benefit for the patients um, who have the benefit of that, uh, that type of care. Um, And it's really important. Uh, We utilize it um, on the, on the OBGYN side. Um, It's something that's been very common and is almost, I guess, universal in cancer care. Um, but it's just great to be able to have all the doctors in the room so that everybody's on the same page. Right. I think it's super important. I think um, your case ought to be discussed with, you don't want a surgeon alone making the decision and saying, well, you need surgery because that's not necessarily an objective opinion, even though it may be objective. I feel much better when the radiation doctors agree with me that you need an operation. And so you're getting sort of a 360 degree view of your case which I think is incredibly important. And it's also a longitudinal following. So we don't just talk about you initially, but then after you've had whatever your treatment is going to be, we rediscuss you afterwards as we follow you with tests and other scans and things like that. And so um, we're constantly revisiting your case to try to give you the best care possible. We have Frank calling in from Jackson. Frank, go ahead. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. How are you? Fine. I have two issues. Number one, uh, when I was a youngster, I had buck teeth and slightly yellow teeth. So, of course, they called me Bucky Beaver. (laughs) And uh, I never really lived that down in my head. Uh, But I finally had a kind dentist tell me, that yes, Frank, your teeth have a natural yellow tinge to it. But that probably means that your teeth will be stronger than the average bear. And sure enough, I have had very few cavities in my lifetime, and he also told me the advantage of flossing. So I floss two or three times a day. So I usually get pretty good dental uh, uh, exams. But I have a a weak spot. 25 years ago, I had braces. And the braces finally came off, and the dentist, I mean, oral surgeon said, the dentist, the, what do they call it, periodontist said, Wear your retainer for two years. Well, after a year, I got tired of wearing it, so I stopped wearing it. So sure enough, here I am, 65 years old, and my teeth are moving. What is the prognosis for uh, not doing what the dentist told me to do and having teeth moving at my age? It's nothing really bad, but I can tell that uh, they're not in the same position they used to be. And uh, I just want to know. 
Well, Frank, I don't. I think they're going to not go back to where they were. Right? I mean, I didn't wear my retainer either, and I'm kind of suffering the consequences. Oh, I've got of that. summer teeth, oh, right? Summer here, summer Everybody. there. That's right. So, Frank, we are all feeling your pain right now. And my now. orthodontist Cause... is yeah. my father, Ooh. and I didn't wear my retainer. Oh yeah. my goodness! It's terrible. Yeah, I'm the worst. So the shifting. So so you do have some options, and um, so the option would be to to go back to um, an orthodontist. And they can refit you for a retainer. Hopefully, you don't have to go back to braces well, again. Well, they have those Invisaligns now. Yeah, if you're not too far right. off, there are lots of lots of options um, with respect to that. If you are dissatisfied with um, how your teeth are shifting, um, because I'm sure just based on what you said that you do not want your friends to see Bucky Beaver return. So I think that if that's the case, stay then in the water, Bucky. It's probably going to be best. For you just to go back and have if they if they shift enough that it's a problem or starts to be cosmetically displeasing to you, you always have the option of going back and being refitted for um, another retainer or for some other procedure that might help to um, get your teeth realigned. Okay. Oh, we lost lost him, but definitely seeing a dental professional, yeah, an orthodontist, absolutely. Um, And speaking of dental professionals. how important uh, is dental care, routine dental care, in helping you with the detection of some of these cancers that you're treating? Oh, so it's super important. I think our dental colleagues do a great job. Um, you know, the number of referrals that we get for concerning lesions is um, not small from the dental community. And, you know, I think they are paying very close attention, probably closer attention and I'm not trying to throw the family practice or the mm-hmm. internist under the bus, but I think, I mean, well, they're more concentrated. That's right. Where they're so they're at. looking I mean, at yeah. the mouth. And so I think they, they pay very close attention to that. And they're very good about either sending it to us or sending it to an oral surgery colleague who will do a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that ends up in our office, depending on mm-hmm. what that looks like. And um, so it's, it's super important. They I know are my dentist always pauses my tongue back from yeah. both oh, yeah, it's sides. Like it turns the whole mouth inside out. Oh my gosh. I and asked a lot of questions about absolutely. changes. Because you really don't look in your mouth. I mean, I don't look at my mouth. Right. Sometimes I get a little ridge there, I guess, where my salivary gland is draining and I'm like, oh, look that, at that. But yeah. for the most part, you don't really think about it. The only that. time I look in my mouth is if my throat is sore oh you know i mean right. seriously when do you really look in your mouth and it's all when, the crevices yeah when my throat is sore i look and i try to see if i can see down there to see if my if my throat's really red do but you I think do you see down there i, I well i can't get all the way down okay. there but i can Just see checking. in the back of it so sometimes but i do think it's really important um that people understand how these things fit together so why it's important to see your dentist and i have i i, I love my dentist but I am I find myself sometimes being a little bothered because the hygienist like I feel like she's trying to shove both of her hands in my mouth. And it's just because they're really doing a good job of being thorough. But you know, they got the little gloves on and it's all this glove stuff going on. They're trying to look look around. And yeah, it's just like Karen said, lifting up your tongue, asking all the questions and then doing a really good yeah, thorough exam. Uh, you can't see what I'm doing, but where it's they awesome. take their fingers and yes. run it around mm-hmm. in, in the inside mm-hmm. your cheek and under your lips and all of those things. Um, but recognizing that that is purposeful and that even though you may think, oh, I'm just going to get my teeth cleaned, or even if it's to go get a filling mm-hmm. or something like that done, um, that there are many other 
important things that are being done, even if it's not necessarily being called to your attention, that those things are purposeful. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I think it's very important. And, and not only that, um, you know, our, the support from our colleagues that are doing those exams, but people need to pay attention to their dental health in general. So it's another kind of risk factor. If you're not taking good care of your teeth or your mouth, you can develop inflammatory conditions of the mouth, and even just poor dental hygiene can lead to the development of some of these cancers. So you can get dysplasia that can then turn into something bad. So, um, you know, just good basic care of your mouth. Brush your teeth. Um, I'm not going to say floss because I'm really bad at that. But um, well, the jury's out on floss. Get a water pick. I say floss anyway. I love to floss. I love it. Is there any relationship between tonsils and adenoids? And cancer, are they more vulnerable? So that's um, in the oropharynx and the nasopharynx. The adenoids sit at the back of the nose, um, sort of as your nose takes a turn to come down into your throat, your adenoids sit back there. The nose dive. The nose dive. So as as an adult, most people do not have significant adenoid tissue. This is lymphoid tissue. It's what we call Waldeyer's ring which is the nasopharynx, which is the back of the nose where the adenoids sit, and the tonsils, and then the back of the tongue. So there are lingual tonsils on the back of the tongue, and it makes a ring called Waldeyer's ring. And so there are cancers that people can develop there. So that's cancers of the oropharynx. And um, and you can get the same kind of cancers that you get in the oral cavity, so just a little bit far further forward. So squamous cell carcinomas are by far the most common. You can also develop a lymphoma in the tonsils or the back of the tongue. Um, those and, are areas you can't see. It's not like the dentist can't examine that, you, that. I mean, yeah. that's right. So, uh, and that's one of the reasons that those cancers can be very subtle. And the first sign of developing one of those cancers is a lump in the neck because you get a lymph node that becomes enlarged mm-hmm. because of this mass. You know, the back of your tongue, you don't really, you know, maybe you get a somewhat of a sensation that you have something stuck there, but actually having pain or a real problem, most people don't feel that. And some of these tumors are very, very small, and you would not be able to detect them without some other obvious sign or symptom like a lymph node being enlarged. So um, you can see your tonsils, and um, and I have had patients who've come into my office because they've had one tonsil that they've noticed was larger than the other. And so um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a tumor there, but there may be something else going on. And so that's another another sign or a symptom that something might be smoldering underneath. So, yes, you can develop tumors there. But that is the one we haven't talked about this yet, and I'll go ahead and bring it up. Um, but, but oropharyngeal cancers, that area seems to be the more susceptible place for HBV tumors, so uh, cancers that are related to the human papillomavirus. And um, that seems to be where that virus likes to live in those tissues. So the tonsil or the back of the tongue are the common locations for us to find HPV-positive squamous cell carcinomas. So um, our listening audience will recognize HPV because we also talk about that when we talk about cervical uh, cancer and um, also genital warts um, are caused by uh, HPV or the human papillomavirus as well. So it's this, it's the same virus, um, just in a same virus, different place, same virus, different place. So it'd be transmitted via oral sex, oral sex, vaginal sex, and and any intimate contact. And there can, there's discussion about exposure during, uh, 
during birth or during delivery, um, perhaps through um, transmission from moms to babies as babies are coming through um, the birth canal. There's also, um, that's a possible mechanism for transmission as well. How common is that virus? Oh, the virus? Oh, the virus is really common. So um, if you look at the statistics, 80 to 90% of sexually active adults have been exposed to the human papillomavirus. 80 to 90%? 80 to 90%. It's the most common sexually transmitted infection. It's almost not even infection. It's almost just like part of biology. Like if you're a person, you're going (laughs) to probably be exposed. So it's very common. But what is not common is then developing a cancer, particularly in the head and neck. So I'll speak from that side of things. So 80 to 90 percent have been exposed to the virus. The vast majority of people who are infected, their body's immune system clears the virus. They don't even know they had it. It was there, it's gone, they don't know the difference, and they move on. There's this very small percent, like 1% of people where that infection persists, and we don't know how long that infection can just sit kind of hanging out in those tissues before it causes a problem like a cancer. But it's interesting that only 1% isn't cleared, but then even a smaller percentage of those will go on to develop a cancer from that infection. So... While it sounds scary that 80 to 90 percent are exposed, it is a very, very small percent of people that will develop a cancer from it. And the HPV vaccine also would protect against that, I would assume. Absolutely. And it works the same way on the other side. Since you are on the top side, I'll go from the bottom side. When we talk about um, cervix and cervical cancer and HPV transmission, um, sexual transmission, because it can cause cancer of the genitalia. So you can get cancer for men. It's penile cancer and um, cervical cancer for women and the benign um, disease, which is uh, genital warts. But um, same thing, people get exposed to it and our bodies fortunately are able to usually clear it. Another important thing is that it's not something you can trace. So um, unless you only have one sexual partner, if you are sexually active, and they only had one sexual partner. Indeed, you. you have no way of really being able to identify where the virus came from, and that's kind of the difficult thing. It's a little bit easier to trace bacterial infections that occur that are sexually transmitted than it is to trace viral, because the viral uh, infections can be present without causing symptoms for very long periods of time. Yeah, so I think that's one of the very important conversations that takes place um, in my office when I have to tell a patient that they have an HPV-related tumor. Typically, these are patients who are not heavy smoker drinkers, so they fall into a completely different risk stratification. It's actually a good thing because they behave better to treatment, so they get a better result when they're not smoker-drinker-related cancers, but they're HPV-related cancers. But when you have a couple in your office, and now you've laid out Uh this idea (laughs) that this is a sexually transmitted virus, and there are lots of questions that come up with that. Awkward. It it can be very awkward. I My... You did not become a gynecologist for a reason, probably, I, I, right? It's exact, I tell my family that all the time, <laughs> yeah. but, but, the, but this conversation is very important. And my, the most important message I can get out is this doesn't mean anything about fidelity. 
that virus could have been there for 20 years. We don't know. And we have to end on that note. So that good conversation. Yeah, what an ending. Good wow. conversation, though, to have at home as parents are talking about these things with their with their children. Dr. Lana Jackson, thank you so much for being with Always us. Always a pleasure. Thank you all. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. He pulled double duty. He was also our call screener today. For Dr. Michelle Owens, for Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for the next Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. And stay tuned because NPR's Here and Now is next. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is a